Father God, Lord, we thank you, Father, for your, for your faithfulness, God. We thank you for your goodness. God, that when we look back and all that we've been through, Lord, all that, that we even got ourselves into, Lord, but yet your faithfulness, God, by your mercy and by your grace just to pull us out of it. Father, I pray that this morning would be a time where we could just look back, God, and see all the battles that you've won, Lord. Look back and see how even when we were faithless, Lord, you remained faithful. God, and you just brought us through by your truth, by your love, God, by the power of your Spirit. Father, so I pray this morning, God, as we look at your word and just look at the value of your truth, Lord, that we could be strengthened and be encouraged, Father, by your goodness and that we lift your name high. So, Father, we, we, we thank you, Lord, we love you. God, I pray that your goodness would be the center of our, in the center of our heart and the center of our mind this morning. And in Jesus' name we pray and believe. Amen. We will get our mic. It'll happen one of these days. Appreciate Kevin's doing a good job, though. He's working hard on this stuff. But uh, thanks for being with us this morning, guys. Um, my name is Luke, for those of you who don't know me, but I think everybody today knows me here, so I don't need to start out with that. But we will be beginning to continue to go through the book of Ephesians, and we are in chapter 5 today. And we've talked about the last couple of weeks of we've been in this transition of in chapter 4 talking about the church being a team, and we've been in the transition of now talking about the church being the bride of Christ. And this beginning part of chapter 5 really talks about the holiness and what God is doing to prepare us to be His bride. Today, the title of the sermon is Stability and Clarity. I just want to look at those two words real quick. I don't know if you guys have ever been in a season where things have seemed unstable, where it's like every single thing you're doing, you're trying to do everything right. And you feel like if you just kind of make that one mistake, the whole house of cards is going to kind of come tumbling down. Or if the devil has one more big swing, just all your effort just seems to kind of just kind of collapse to the ground. Or a season that things just don't seem very clear. When I was thinking about clarity, I got reminded of the very first time I ever drove in a storm. It was shortly after I got my license and it was, I was on the highway and I don't know if you guys have ever driven in whether it's a snowstorm or a very bad rainstorm. This was a really bad rainstorm and as I was trying to drive it's that moment where you can only see like three feet in front of you but you also can only see three feet behind you so you don't know if a car is coming behind you so you don't want to drive too slow so you don't get rear-ended but you also don't want to drive too fast because you can't see in front of you you don't want to run in front of and run into a car that's going slow in front of you and in that moment where we lack clarity at least driving wise you start to drive kind of in fear it's out of caution and when you look at these two words, when we lack stability in our Christian walk, when we lack clarity or vision in our Christian walk, we really start to operate in fear and we start to operate in control. Because if we can't see something, we don't know what's going to happen, and so we start to think of the worst case scenario. And if we feel unstable, we start to feel like all the pressure's on us. If we make that one mistake, everything else is going to come tumbling down. But I believe the encouragement as we look at this scripture today is that God has made it available for every single believer to have stability and have clarity in their walk with Him. And He's made this available through the gifts that He's given us through Christ Jesus. And as we break down this scripture, I want to look at the different gifts and the different avenues, the different tools that God has given us for stability and clarity. And our specific scripture for today is Ephesians chapter 5, 5 through 6, which says this, 
For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Off the bat, doesn't look like exactly a scripture about specifically stability and clarity, but I want to point something out that God really highlighted to me as I was studying, praying for this scripture for this body this Sunday, and he pointed out how verse 5 and how verse 6 start. Verse 5 starts with this, for this you know. In the Greek, this Greek word know isn't like a whimsical, I think I kind of know, or I'm going to give it my best shot, but this is an absolute knowing. It's the same word that's used for Jesus when he says that I know my Father. There's just this knowing, this completeness. So he starts out verse 5 with surety. This you know. This, this is what I'm about to say is something that you should know with absolute certainty, absolute clarity. It shouldn't be something that is confusing. But then in verse 6, he starts out with let no one deceive you. That's interesting because verse 5, he's saying this is absolutely clear. But yet in verse 6, he's saying, let no one deceive you. I think we could all agree that in our walk with Christ, as we're in the culture, as we're in the world that we're in, we're always being attacked with a hundred different kinds of opinions. We're always being challenged on the truth of who God is, the truth of God's word. As we look at this importance of knowing something, we also have to realize that we're in a battle of of the world and the enemy trying to deceive us of what we should know is true. That The enemy is trying to deceive us to get us away from stability, to get us away from consistency, to get us away from clarity, and instead into deception. But as we started out the sermon with, I really believe that God has provided the avenue, provided the capability for us to be stable and be consistent in our walk with him. This specific scripture is talking about the truth of the righteous judgment of God. In our culture, this is becoming a less popular or more hostile topic. And even in some areas of our, even our own country, this is becoming something that people would consider hate speech, of the righteous judgment of who God is and the truth of that. When we look at stability and we look at clarity, one thing that's very important is truth. Without truth, things aren't stable. Without truth, things aren't consistent. Without truth, things are not clear. So as we look at these different gifts, there's four of them we're going to look at this, this morning, but each one of these deals with truth, each one of these is consistent, each one of them is stable, each one of them is clear. The very first thing I want to look at is the character of God. We started at Ephesians 5.1, for those of you here who says, it said, therefore be imitators of God, that, that as God is, so shall we be, and that as we're with God, his character, who he is, starts to rub off on us and we become like him. I want to look at two specific scriptures. First is Hebrews 13.8 that says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you want to study somebody who was consistent, somebody who was stable, somebody who was clear, looking at the person of Jesus Christ is the, is the best place to start. The character of God, his example, his, who he is in his word, who he is as we get to know him in prayer and in worship, it's a gift. That the character of God is a gift for us to be stable and to be clear in our spiritual lives. That Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as we start to imitate him, we become consistent as well. That we become people who are stable just as Christ is stable. The second scripture I want to look at is 1 Corinthians 14, 33 in relation to the character of God. It says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. 
that God is not here to confuse us. God doesn't want to confuse us. God wants to bring clarity. God wants to bring stability. He wants to bring peace into our lives as we follow him. A lot of times I think that there's so many things that are happening at once in our life and some things that are very hard to understand. I find myself sometimes asking why, you know, trying to figure out why is God doing what he's doing. You know, the word says that God's ways are above our ways, that his thoughts are above our thoughts, that we're not going to always know exactly in the moment, exactly specifically what God is doing. But yet his character and who he is always remains the same. And that in the times that seem unstable, in the times that seem like they lack clarity, if we would just shift our eyes to the character of who God is, shift our eyes to the character of who Jesus Christ is, that that's our focus, not the answer, but just who he is and coming to him first, all of a sudden things start to become a lot more stable and a lot more clear because what our eyes are focused on isn't moving. When our eyes are focused on our circumstances, when our eyes are focused on the things that are around us, those things are always moving all over the place. And if we're trying to figure out what God's doing from that vantage point, it becomes very confusing. But when our eyes are focused simply and solely on the character of Christ who never changes, who brings peace and doesn't bring confusion, all of a sudden, sometimes that's our answer. And as we focus on the character of God, sometimes, you know, his answer may be that we don't need to know the answer that we're exactly looking for. But if we will set our eyes on Christ, we'll set our eyes on his character, he'll answer us one way or the other. Sometimes he has an answer for us down the road, but sometimes his answer is wait, sometimes his answer is no, sometimes his answer is we may not need to know the answer that we are looking for, but is his character enough? As we go back to Ephesians 5, how does this relate back to the scripture that, that we are on for today? He says, For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. As Paul is writing this, how is it fair that he's saying, for this you know? How is, he, how is it fair that he's saying this is something that should be absolutely clear? Is because these things that he's talking about, fornication we talked about last week with sexual immorality or unclean motives or, or coveting or idolatry, all these things are things that contradict the character of God. None of these things line up with him. So when he talks about these people will not inherit the kingdom, or have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God, it makes a lot of sense when our, our first focus is the character of God. Because these things that he's talking about do not line up. They're not consistent with him. And nothing will inherit the kingdom of God that is not consistent with God's character, not consistent with the person of Jesus Christ. So the very first gift that God has given us, which is really the best one, is just himself is his character, is his truth. That as we are stuck on his character, God will provide stability, he'll provide consistency to us, and, and we will see things out of a clear view because we won't see them from the lens of our circumstances, but rather from his character. The second gift I believe God has given us to provide this stability and consistency, this clarity, is just his word. When it comes to, to, to a scripture like this, I don't know if you guys have ever been challenged with this um, in our city with your friends that if you hold someone accountable to, a, to ooh, was that coming from this wake up call big time yeah got one oh was that one okay okay I think are we back on there Kevin we good Hey, it's a wake-up call, making sure you guys aren't sleeping as we transition into the next um, 
unto our next point. But we're talking about his word. We talk about his word. I don't know if you guys have ever been in a circumstance where you've stood up for truth, where you stood up for something's wrong, and you get the response, who are you to judge? How do you know that? Who are you to say what I should believe? Who are you to say what we should believe? And we get this response that's starting to challenge, who are we to judge? When I look at the scripture, I love this scripture in John 12, 47 through 48. Because Jesus got this response a lot. People are saying, who are you to forgive sins? Who are you to do these things? And even though he was the Son of God in the flesh, he says this, and if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. When we stand before God in judgment, it's not going to be like a sliding scale or it's not going to be like a trial where we put forth our evidence, he puts forth his evidence, it goes to the jury and they decide, well, does the good outweigh the bad? But Jesus says even him, he himself won't necessarily be judging us on judgment day. There won't be anything new that gets revealed on judgment day, but it'll be his word, that we will be held accountable to the word that Jesus spoke. That it won't just be on a human council, but God by his word, that is what will judge us on that day. And so when we hold people accountable, we hold ourselves accountable, it's not us saying we are the ones who judge or this is our opinion, but it's coming back to the word of God. We aren't aren't the people who should judge, and neither even was Christ putting that on himself, but he was pointing people back to the word of God. For us to share the word, for us to share the truth. It's not judgment, but it's truth, because that is what people will be, that's what we will be held accountable for when we stand before the Lord. And this isn't something new in Ephesians 5, but it's something that we see throughout the scripture. I want to look at Matthew 7. It's a great scripture for this. He says, You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What I want to look at in this scripture is just, there's a couple points that are very important. The first one is he says, you will know them by their fruit. And that's in essence what Paul is saying in Ephesians 5.5. He's saying, because of these things, because of their fruit, you know this. It's not because you're judging them. It's not because you know more than them. It's because the word of God is diagnostic. And it says that that Jesus himself says that that they will know you by their fruit. And that's what the whole first part of this scripture is talking about. But then Jesus goes into this, this comment that he says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And one of the biggest arguments that I think we are confronted with with the word of God is if Ephesians 5.5 5 is true. If Ephesians 5.5 5 that says that, that these lifestyles of sin, that this unrepentance of sin will not inherit the kingdom of God. I've heard a lot of people say, well, I have friends who do these things. Man, but they're very nice. They do a lot of good things. But that nothing except repentance in Christ is what brings salvation. Nothing but repentance in Christ and the blood of Jesus is what will allow us to have inheritance in the kingdom of God. And these people that Jesus is talking to, they're doing nice things. They're doing good things. 
He says that, that they say that they have prophesied. That's a good thing. They've cast out demons. That's a really good thing. They've done many wonders. They are doing these things. But what Jesus says in verse 23, he says, But I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And what lawlessness is, how do we know what the law of God is? That the law of God has been laid out in his word. That God's word, that God's law is what brings stability. God's law, God's word is what his standard is going to be. Another way that I've, I've heard this um, preached or I've heard this um, translated is basically Jesus saying, you live as though I never gave you a law to live by. That you just let, live by your own desires, you live by your own passions. That nothing gives us stability, nothing gives us clarity, nothing is diagnostic like the word of God. That we can do really good things, but just like these people, they missed it not because they weren't trying to, to do good things. They missed it because they missed the law of God. And if we don't know the word, if we're not saturated in the word, we cannot have stability, we cannot have clarity, we cannot have consistency because that's what the word of God brings. And our third point, the third gift I believe that God has given us is very closely connected to this, and we've been talking about it the last couple weeks, and that is holiness. Do you guys ever thought about holiness being a gift from God? I was really playing on that this week. Because when you think about what is happening in holiness, when God is sanctifying us, when he is making us holy, he is bringing us further away from sin, he's bringing us further away from death, he's bringing us further away from who we were, and he's bringing us closer to Christ. That's a huge gift, to be brought further away from death and closer to Christ. That is something that's a gift from God in order for us to know him. All these things bring us back to this purpose of intimacy that we've been hitting on really throughout the whole book of Ephesians. But this aspect of holiness, the reason why it's very closely related to our second point is because holiness and the word go hand in hand. Because we're talking about this lawlessness to be able to perform the law of God through repentance. But I want to look at James chapter 1, verses 22 through 24. He says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. See, it's a great thing to know the word. But two and three, holiness and the word are very closely tied together. Because if we know the word and we're not doers of the word, James is actually telling us, man, we're actually getting further away from God. That we start to deceive ourselves when we know the word, but yet we do not put it into practice. We start to fall away from holiness, closer to, to death, and further away from sin. That's where we become unstable. That's where we start to become a little bit controlling. We're trying to put everything in their place instead of just reading the Word of God, knowing the Word of God, and by faith, doing the Word of God. As we look at Ephesians 5, as we look at these scriptures, whether it's Matthew 7, whether it's James 1, they, hit, they have such a big emphasis on works. And I believe that everyone here knows, I pray that we know that we are not saved by works, but works are very diagnostic by what we believe. And that's what Jesus' point is, is, a, is a, um, a apple tree cannot produce oranges because it's an apple tree that, that because we are in Christ, it's not because we try really hard, it's not because we, we just focus really hard, because of what Christ has done in us, because of the love of Christ, because of the cross of Christ, because of the, because of the blood of Christ, there's something that just comes out of us. And that moved from dead works to good works. That moved from dead fruit or de dead leaves to something that is alive. 
that real salvation, real heart change, produces real change in our behavior. And it's impossible to experience real salvation. It's impossible to experience that real regeneration from the Holy Spirit and not experience that life change. And that's what God is going through when we talk about His character, when we talk about His Word, when we talk about holiness. He's laying out in Ephesians 5 for the body of Christ not to be deceived by what people tell us, not to be deceived by maybe what our mind thinks, but to be rooted, to be stable, to be able to walk through this life with a clear lens because of what the Word of God says, because of what His character is, because of what doers of the Word produce. When we do the Word, we start to know God more. When we do the Word, we start to have a clear lens of what God is doing and of who God is. So as we go back to Ephesians 5, 5, he says, For this you know that no fornicator or unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. If we get our, our eyes off of God's character, if we get our eyes off of God's word, if we get our eyes off of doing God's word, this scripture can become manipulated and become confusing. Like, why is this scripture too? This doesn't make sense. When we look at it through the lens of God's character, of course these things don't enter the kingdom of, of God because they don't match up with his character. They don't match up with his word. They don't match up with the fruit of being a believer in Jesus Christ. So we go into verse 6 as we start to kind of wrap this up. And I believe all these points really come together as we look at verse 6 when, when he says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. In John 8, Jesus is confronting the character of Satan, the character of the enemy. He says he is the father of lies, that when he lies, he comes from his own character because that is who he is. Then we look at from the beginning of time that as God produces clarity, as God produces stability, as God produces consistency, Satan's main goal is to disrupt that and confuse the believer, confuse people to get them off and left field away from the stability, the consistency, and the clarity that God desires for us as believers. I want to look at Genesis 2 and 3 that really drive this point home. We can see that Satan's been working the very same way from the beginning. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, he says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. God, by his word, by his character, he made himself very clear. It wasn't confusing. It wasn't a bunch of... Um, bylaws to this commandment, but he just laid it out. It was very clear. He gave it to Adam and Eve as something to obey. Want to look at Genesis 3 when Satan comes in, what does he do? It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? What's the very first thing that Satan did? He challenged God's word. He tried to just get that little bit of doubt in Eve. Are you sure that God said that? Because I don't know if that's exactly what he said. Why don't we rehash? Let's make sure that there wasn't a little bit of difference. He challenges, what did God really say to you? Do you know for sure what God's word says? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What was the second thing that Satan attacks Eve with? Is he challenges God's character. 
that he says, God does it. The only reason God did this was to control you. The only reason God did this isn't because he loves you, isn't because he wants the best for you, but God did this to manipulate you and to hold you off from something good. That, that Satan tried to do two things with Eve. Get her off track of God's word. Don't believe what God really said. And secondly, just doubt his character. Doubt that he really loves us. Doubt that, that he really wants the best for us. And in that, what does he do? He chokes out Eve's ability to obey the word of God. In verse 6, he says, So the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. When we look at the first things we talked, three things we talked about is God's character, God's word, and the ability to obey the word. When the enemy, when the world starts to get us to doubt God's character, to doubt his goodness, to doubt the things we sang about as we came in this morning, the next thing that happens is we start to really doubt his word. When we doubt his word, we're probably not going to obey his word. And if we're doubting God's character, if we're doubting his word, if we're not obeying his word, that is just the devil's playground to get us unstable, to get us inconsistent, and to get us confused. And we look at this scripture, yes, it's about God's righteous judgment, but I think it's very important for us to see that just the, the layout of the scripture. In verse 5, he's telling us this is something that we should know for certain. But in verse 6, there's going to be opposition to get us deceived, to not believe this. One thing I hear a lot down at campus it's things like a loving God won't judge. A loving God would never do that. A loving God will never condemn people that God is love. Therefore, everything is okay. We have to accept things. We have to do these things that, that, allow every, that are very inclusive. You hear a lot that Jesus was the same. Every religion is the same. That every religion produce, preaches peace. Every religion preaches these things. None of those things are true. And all of those things are an attack on God's character and are an attack on God's word. The thing the Lord really challenged me with is, a, is the quickest, one of the quickest ways to start to compromise is to be in the midst of lies, whether it's from ourselves, whether it's from other people, and not stand up for the truth. Because if we're okay with being around other people, especially other believers, who are falling into sin or falling into compromise, if it's okay for us to watch them do that, eventually that sin's going to seem okay in our life too. Because it was okay for us to watch our brother do it. It was okay to watch our sister do it. And eventually that sin is going to start creeping into our heart and we're going to start to compromise in that area as well. Just can't overemphasize the importance of the gifts that God has given us to know his character. Because knowing his character helps us see the, see the world how he sees it. Knowing his word helps us see the world as he sees it. Having fruit of the gospel brings us into discernment and intimacy with him. Last piece with Ephesians 5, 6 specifically is when we talk about this deception, deception isn't something that you're always ready for. You know, the, the scary thing about deception is if in the whole world someone said, hey, let's take a poll of everyone who knows they're being deceived right now, probably no one would raise their hand because that's the thing of being deceived. You don't know that you're being deceived. And how do we know if we're being deceived? Are we lining up with the character of God, of the word of God, and are we obeying what we believe? Because really, whatever we believe, that's what we're going to do. And the challenge for us today is if we feel like, man, I'm that person who's definitely not deceived, I'm not saying be skeptical of yourself. I'm just saying, look at what you're doing and come back to the character of God. Make sure it lines up. How you think, how you view what's going on. Come back to the word of God. Make sure it lines up. And what you say you believe, make sure you're doing it. 
Because if those three things aren't there, there's a great chance that we're being de- deceived. And I want to read 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3 that talks about this. It says, But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. The part that really catches my attention in this is verse 2. We've got two verse 2s up there, but the second verse 2 that says, And many will follow their destructive ways. I mean, it says many. It doesn't say some. It doesn't just say a few. But if we are not intentional with this, last Sunday night, Johnny gave a great word about being dis- disciplined and not being distracted. That if we aren't vigilant, if we aren't sober with the word of God, it says that many will follow their destructive ways. And for some reason, we read these things and we think that will never be me. I will never be the one that ends up getting caught in something that is not true. But if we are not in God's focus on God's character, if we're not in his word, if we aren't stable, if we aren't consistent, what those things do is we start to operate in fear. And fear will gravitate to what makes us feel good. And that's exactly what Satan did to Eve that got her off track. As we begin um, to close, we can start to get ready for our offering. Um, Nat will close us in worship. But as an evaluation before we wrap up, are we in a place as a church? Are we in a place individually where we're stable right now? I mean, you feel like you have stable, solid ground underneath you in Jesus Christ. Do we, are we in a season where we are consistent, where, where we are consistent, where we are um, having clarity spiritually, where we're, where we're seeing things clearly? So I really believe that God desires this from every believer, but when we lack those things, it's got to be a red flag that something's missing. I believe oftentimes that something that's missing is the foundation of truth. Last point I want to make, just to encourage the body that we can't be, again, Ephesians 5, 5 through 6, it's a scripture that's very challenging, it's a scripture that's counterculture, it's a scripture that elevates the righteous judgment of God. But don't let the world, by its negative opinion, by its, its antagonizing of the Word of God and of who He is, challenge God's character, that challenge God's Word, that challenges and, and, and starts to quench out our obedience. They can challenge it all we want, that they want. I'm okay with talking about it. But don't let those things move us from the confidence that we can have in Christ. Because at the end of the day, God's character, God's Word is not on trial. People can bring all the evidence they want that it's not true. It's not on trial. That God's Word will endure forever. We've got two options. We can be tossed to and fro by every window doctrine. We can be tossed by the winds because of a lack of faith, because of a lack of just trusting that God's character is true. Or we can stand firm. Hebrews says that we are receiving a kingdom that will not be shaken. If we find our place in an area of compromise, best way to start, start with the little things. Man, get our eyes back on his character. You don't have to go save the world tomorrow. You don't have to go clean up every single thing tomorrow. But why not this morning find repentance of the compromise and the distraction we found at looking at everything else, but not his character, not his word, and not holiness. So we bring up um, today's offering.
Father God, Lord, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. God, I thank you for the way that you love us, Lord. I thank you for just the solid foundation that you give us. God, I pray, Lord, that, that as we give this morning, God, it would be out of a cheerful heart, Lord. Your word says that you love a cheerful giver. God, I pray that ESIS would steward the funds that you give us um, well, God, and for the advancement of your kingdom. God, I pray that you'll bless this offering. In Jesus' name, we pray and believe. Amen. As we begin to close, as always, um, if you have a word, if God's laying on your, something on your heart, please come up and share. Every Sunday is important. Every scripture is important. But the Lord just really had it heavy on my heart this morning of, of just how bad, how, how truly devoted God is to providing a solid foundation for us. How truly devoted He is to provide peace, to provide clarity. He doesn't want you to confuse. He doesn't want you operating in fear. And that the Holy Spirit has convicted you this morning of this morning of allowing the world's philosophy and the world's theology of God trump what God says about himself. That's just not something that we would be okay with in our heart, but something that we would really seek for God to change. That there's got to be a brokenness to just want more of God. We can't just want more of God intellectually, but it has to be something the Holy Spirit moves us to. That isn't just we want the next kind of how-to, the next couple of things I can read in the Word, but something that just is broken over our sin that wants to move from death to life. And this morning, if there's something the Lord is getting at you, I just challenge you, whether it's in your seat, whether it's coming up to the altar, but some type of physical response to God today, whether it's in your heart, whether it's in your legs, something that just cries out to Him to provide this stability, that just provides this clarity, this consistency, that, that, that we, are, we are done trying to do things our way, or done being okay with deception, done being okay with compromise. So again, if, some, if the Lord is laying something on your heart, please feel free to come up and give that word. Um, but Nat, we'll, we'll just continue in with some worship for us to really contemplate. Let the Lord get our heart this morning with stability, with consistency, with clarity.